Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So uh, very excited, you know, about the founder that we have today. We're going to be talking a lot about, you know, good, good stuff, about building, scaling, financing, you know, all the good stuff that we like to hear. And I think that you're all going to find our guests very, very inspiring. I mean, someone that came from the Ukraine to the U.S., you know, went into one of the top companies, and then from there, you know, now, you know, has launched our rocket ship. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. Ilya Polosukin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Great to be here. So originally born and raised there in the Ukraine, how was life growing up? Give us a little of a walk through memory lane. For sure, yeah. I mean, obviously it's very different now than it was uh, 30 years ago, but uh, I would say the important pieces have been like 90s were a pretty tough time in Ukraine. The, I've lived through hyperinflation. Like I remember uh, buying a bread for you know, a thousand, a ten thousand, a hundred thousand. And I think there was a, at some point it would cost a million to buy uh, a loaf of bread. The, you know, definitely there's a lot of kind of corruption and, and just general like uncertainty that was there in the 90s. And kind of it, it, you know, like even after they reset the currency, then there was, you know, and tried to keep it with a dollar for a while, they kind of kept releasing it. So just a lot of, things like that. I grew up from not, you know, very humble means, let's just say. And so pretty early on started um, figuring out how to how to get a job. So uh, it, the at the same time, I was like really excited about computers. I got to play with like at some friends first. And then uh, we got a very like 386, pretty much really old computer uh, in 2000, uh, kind of at home. So was just trying to build games, trying to build kind of some cool things around that. Um, got really excited that it was at age 10. And then, yeah, since then, couldn't stop coding. <laughs> I mean, coding at 10. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Now, in your case, you know, one thing led to the next. And, you know, your first job, you know, literally was a, with a company, you know, where you were still in university. But one thing led to the next. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in San Diego. So how was that? How did that happen? Yeah, exactly. So, so I was in first year of university, as, as I said, not, not much money. So, uh, I was looking for a job. I knew how to, you know, write code and kind of, uh, so actually started looking for, for a software development job right away. And through friends found this, uh, San Diego company that had a small office in Kharkiv, um, that was doing machine learning, which I was super excited about. I actually went to university to study that. I was already doing some like basic neural networks. Uh, in high school, and uh, yeah, so joined that. Uh, they kind of invited me a couple times for summers to just visit and, and uh, kind of uh, seasoned out, and then gave me an offer to relocate and move uh, to San Diego, which was really exciting. Kind of uh, to do that. Uh, obviously, begin in the beginning, you know, coming in from a different culture, different language, everything. So it took, took a bit to uh, get my uh, footing around, but um, it was a really good experience to learn from that company. It, that company actually was around from 70s or even like early 70s. And so they were doing machine learning before there was a word machine learning. So there was a lot of experience 
uh, doing that. At the same time, I actually saw kind of deep learning kind of getting getting its footing. And so I was excited about neural networks. I, you know, back in like 2006, five, they were not really working. And so when in 2013, when the cat neuron came out, out of Google, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is happening now. And so I wanted to go somewhere where they were doing neural networks at scale and, and figure out how to, uh, how to contribute to that. And I always was excited about kind of human knowledge uh, aspect of machine learning. So I was looking for something where I can work with language and knowledge. And so that's how I got into Google Research uh, in uh, 14, pretty much um, into a research team that was working on natural language question answering and kind of understanding, you know, the vast amount of language that's around us. And now people are talking a lot about question and answering, you know, with all this craziness around chat GPT. So, um, you know, it's just incredible, like the... The progress now that we've seen, you know, around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and and obviously you've seen, you know, this uh, this space developing. So, how have you seen, you know, that development and also the the acceptance and the consciousness around it? Because now it sounds it sounds like you know people are talking about. It. I mean, ChatGPT, you know, has been right now. I think it's the first, you know, to achieve one million users in literally five days, which is absolutely insane. So uh, how have you seen the development, you know, of, of, of this segment, you know, as a whole? For sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So back when, uh, when I was at Google, right, I mean, we kind of imagined all those things because that, that was literally what we were working on. At the same time, it was not working really well yet. And so although we had the really cool systems, they were really expensive to run. Um, and so that was actually motivation for the transformers for the models that are powering right now everything that um we actually couldn't ship in production any of the question answering models we had because they were just too expensive and too slow to run and so uh kind of the our team and some google brain teams kind of uh were working on this idea of transformers and which ended up in the paper attention is all you need and uh kind of pretty much allowing to like drop um, cost of running this and, and, and speed up the inference like 10 or, or even more X. And so that led to, you know, that model is actually getting to production. Google Translate improved a lot in 2018, 2019 because of that. And then, you know, BERT kind of came out through Google and then uh, OpenAI uh, was GPT-1 and, and f further. And so I think the definitely kind of interesting things here being that like more bigger and bigger models, more and more data fed, and it actually is able to infer the structure and the knowledge of the language without being kind of particularly taught specific concepts. And so like, again, we've seen that, like that's why I got excited to join Google in the first place. We've seen that in images early on. And like in language, it was still not clear until something like Hurt uh, came out to, uh, to showcase that. Uh, at the same time, I think now, like before I was kind of skeptical was, you know, like Elon Musk and everybody else who were coming out and saying, hey, you know, we should be careful about AI, yada, 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 because it was so early back then. It was like actually not really um, working yet. But now we have something that's actually a pretty, you know, powerful tool, uh, although it's like half, t you know, most of the time it, it says, you know, something incorrectly, but it's actually now a powerful tool to start. Uh, kind of DDoSing the you know society in a way, right? You can create fake content, you can create uh, you know frivolous lawsuits that 
kind of referencing, uh, for example, case law. And you can start doing a lot of interesting kind of damage that people are generally doing already. It's, it's not that it's something new. It's just it's not at the same volume. And so I think that's where uh, we're going to be seeing really interesting problems. And, and we actually have you know, tools to solve them as well now. And so I'm, I'm really excited about kind of how we're going to be addressing this uh, in, in you know, this year and coming years. Now, in your case, you know, obviously you were here in Mountain View working in in one of the top companies, you know, probably like the dream that, uh, I mean, if you were like there back in Ukraine and watching TV, I mean, the stuff that you would typically see on TV and in your dreams and and you had realized it, you know, you had realized it and you were making it happen. So why making a change? Why Why did you decide, you know, hey, you know what, I'm going to say goodbye to everything and I'm going to give my notice and I'm going to start my own thing and starting something from nothing. Yeah, great question. So I, I always wanted to build something on my own. Um, and the honest, honest opinion was Ukraine was not the place to do it. Uh, just because, you know, at least back then, uh, back when I was leaving, so like early 2010s, um, like it was still pretty, kind of corrupted system and obviously like things actually gotten way better up up until the war um so like uh as i was returning there was definitely an opportunity to do a lot more interesting things there but uh i wanted to do something on my own and so i went to google with this with the idea to get to get a lot more experience meet a lot of smart people to work with later and um kind of figure out the kind of network in Silicon Valley to uh, to be able to do something on my own. And, it, and Google was an amazing place to do that. Like there was a ton of smart people there, which most of them left now to start st startups and companies around uh, AI, blockchain, biotech, uh, like uh, even HR and other spaces. And so, yeah, so it was a really great opportunity to kind of connect with the whole kind of Silicon Valley and the next generation of startups, uh, you know, multiple, actually all of my directors have left to start a startup uh, when I was like at this point. So, um, so it's just a really kind of amazing place to start from. But then uh, as I was working there, the kind of like, the, there was this feeling that, you know, you can move fast, faster, way faster. And because, of various reasons, right? The structure, the big organization, the kind of complexity of, of coordinating all of this, you moving really slowly. Like I, I was actually doing three jobs in a way at the same time. I was managing a team. I was an individual contributor to TensorFlow, um, like one of the major contributors to TensorFlow. And I was doing another project kind of with another team. Um, so like just to to be able to do, like to fill my day in a way, right? To do things. <laughs> and so that that kind of felt like, hey, there's an opportunity here to focus and build something um, with a small team being way faster. And, and this is my thesis that as we move into kind of blockchain uh, conversation, I do have a thesis that small teams working together tighter and then coordinating more on economic level between each other is a more robust way of kind of building large large things than a big one big company that kind of has too much bureaucracy internally and is not able to move as quickly.
and so so yeah so with that you know uh, i met my co-founder alex and uh we were really excited about the idea of leveraging some of this attention zone you need some of this models transformers to actually build what github autopilot ended up being so we were trying to build that uh early on in 17 and uh, so we ended up you know i left google kind of through some uh another another adventure we ended up starting near ai so obviously near ai you know went through um different uh, cycles you know in your guys's case you know you did a a pivot you know too and and pivots you know are are frightening you know they're they're scary because it's a you know you're dealing with what you knew maybe what you knew was not adjusting so well and then it was time to kind of like reshape it a little bit so in your guys's you know case what was that uh, uh, I would say journey or 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 transition like how do you um, go to where you were and then at what point do you decide hey you know this is not working or this needs to be done differently and then how do you guys go about the execution of that transition. For sure, yeah. So when we started near AI, we, we kind of agreed on a year. So we gave ourselves a year to figure something out because, and, and like we, we took a very ambitious problem, right? Especially for a startup of like generating code from language. We said like, hey, we need to do a bunch of research. We know that and we're going to do that. But at the same time, we like we gave us a year to get to some product that, you know, people will be able to use. And so we ended up, I mean, there's a kind of interesting research came out of that, which is cited now by DeepMind and OpenAI um, in, in their work. But, um, and we've tested lots of products. We've ended up, like, especially for AI, the, the, this, the simplest thing you can do is literally just put an interface in front of the user and just ha be yourself behind the scene trying to answer or like respond to the questions people ask. Like, if you can do that, then like at least that shows that you have enough information to answer that, then maybe you can train a model to do that. And so we've tried, we've tried a bunch of products and we had actually something that was like close enough to a product, but it would require a ton of investment and a, and a big kind of team behind the scene to be able to fix things when they don't work. And it was actually a building, you could, you could draw an interface of a mobile app on a, on a piece of paper or on a whiteboard, take, take a picture of it, and we would generate that, and then you can try to describe how it should work, and we would try to make it all work, right? So we're trying to build like a completely no-code platform for building mobile applications. Uh, it was just like drawing and natural language, and we had something like reasonable, and people wanted that. Like there is actually a interest in something like this, uh, but it would require a ton of like a big team of people who would fix pretty much post-factum stuff when AI was broken. But the thing we did end up building kind of as a side of this was a crowdsourcing system. So we had, because we needed a lot of data for like language to, to code, code description for code, like comments and like all kinds of stuff. And so we ended up building a very like specialized platform where we had a ton of people working and these people were around the world, right? This is like generally, you know, paying them like, you know, 10 cents for a problem that was students mostly from China, from Russia, from Ukraine, from kind of few other countries uh, who, for whom this was like reasonable money to make doing this work. And uh, we had problems paying them. So that was like our pain point is that just processing transfers to them, like they don't have bank account. There's no like good 
you know, it's not like a deal thing, like a deal didn't exist back then. It's not uh, like you don't do payroll for that. So like, it was really complicated to just pay. And so we started looking at blockchain just to solve our problem. Like, can we process payments on blockchain so we don't need to, you know, deal with all the operations of this? And the answer was back then, 2018, the answer was no, because blockchain was way too expensive to use, like Ethereum and Bitcoin. And it was really complicated to use as well. And there was no good like ways to, to onboard people. And that's where we kind of realized like, hey, that is a problem. Like we have like a real use case and we need to pay people. And like it is a solution. It just doesn't work. The infrastructure is not there. It doesn't scale. It's not easy to use. And so we ended up actually kind of focusing on that. Like, hey, can we solve this problem? If we could solve it for ourselves, it, like we know there's other people who need this as well. So uh, how do we do that? And that's when we brought in a bunch more people who like some of them who were in blockchain space before, uh, which we weren't. And so kind of started brainstorming, how would we address these problems and how would we design something like this? Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And how would you say that it has evolved to what you have today? I mean, what is the business model today? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so there's an interesting kind of thing about blockchain that blockchain itself is not making money. It's more of an economy, right? Like how does dollar make money? Like dollar itself doesn't. It's the kind of services around that and things around that. And so similar here, near itself, the near token is more of a kind of, you know, think of it as oil in the machine, right? That's how the whole system works. And it's more of an economy, right? Near token itself is used uh, for economic. And then there's companies around near that are providing different services or building companies and, and businesses on top, right? So for example, Pagoda, the company I run is the company that provides infrastructure as a service, right? It provides all the RPCs, it provides all the endpoints and, and like can be charging for some of the services on top of it. There's companies that are, you know, building businesses. For example, again, if somebody builds that crowdsourcing business, they will be charging their clients for data labeling. They'll be paying people and they'll be making money on, on the difference. And so 
the idea here is like you build the protocol, the kind of the, the core concept. There is a near token, which does have economic value that captured from the economy. So it's more like GDP style uh, economy than, than, you know, pure like revenue. Uh, and then on top of it, you have businesses that are built that, you know, kind of actually produce that GDP on, on top. Got it. And also, you know, as the, um, as the process tool for, for, for capitalizing this, you know, I mean, obviously you guys have gone through different rounds of financings too. So how has been that experience? And I guess, you know, before going into that, you know, why don't you start by sharing, you know, with the audience, how much capital you guys have raised to date? And then also going back to the previous question, how has it been the experience of going through those financing rounds? Yeah, so total we raised over 550 million uh, over this past four something years. And, uh, but it's actually started with near AI. So we raised a little bit, um, about 700 uh, for AI company. And that was an interesting conversation where we were pivoting to blockchain to our previous investors to tell them like, hey, we're actually gonna go in this different direction and they were like, well, what do you actually know about blockchain? Uh, <laughs> that was a very valid question. And our point was like, well, we, you know, we're smart. We'll figure it out. Uh, and we did. Uh, but yeah, so then um, we kind of, when we pivoted, we, uh, and we, we pretty much really quickly grew from like three people doing AI to like nine people doing their protocol uh, blockchain. And so we ended up uh, going and, and fundraising for blockchain and, you know, kind of quickly finding the network in Silicon Valley of blockchain investors who, you know, understand actually the, uh, the principles of this. And, and, you know, first version of our pitch was completely destroyed because we, you know, we just came into the space and the, the people who were like, who actually know how these things work were, you know, kind of were able to pretty much destroy the, the things we were, we were thinking through. And, but that gave us kind of, you know, a feedback and motivation. So we, we talked with them a few more times. We talked with a lot of people and kind of honed in on like a specific, like, you know, still the same principle that we started with, but honed in on like the design of what we wanted to do as well as the structure of how this should be done. And so that's, that was a really interesting experience. I don't think you get as much feedback, uh, usually from web two investors, um, on the technology and all that you're building because right now for web two you mostly get feedback on like business uh fundamentals and here it was also like uh the people involved were uh very technical um and so we got in the first uh, round uh, so metastable uh, and naval ravikant were uh kind of first round for the blockchain already uh led that and then a bunch of folks joined like electric capital for example as uh, one of the big funders in that and uh, yeah, that that was kind of the gave us you know time to actually build out the concept, build build uh, uh, like what we call testnet in blockchain, right? Something that you know people can already start building on using. And while we still fi we're figuring out a lot of the technical details of infrastructure, and then with that uh, we were doing more fundraise to kind of actually launch this, right? Because th there's a lot more capital needed to get like i mean this this needs to be global day one right i think that's one of the bigger differences from many other companies this is like a global infrastructure we need validators around the world we need we need you know access points we need wallets we need like all all the whole ecosystem needs to come in uh, at the same time and so that's when we partnered with Andreessen 
beginning of 2020 and, and with uh, a lot of other folks uh, in the kind of blockchain and, and also traditional ecosystem uh, to kind of help us also as we were growing uh, to, uh, to structure all this. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it was obviously like, you know, you never stop pitching. That's really the <laughs> the lesson from this. And like, you, you know, even if you're not fundraising, you're still pitching to everyone and, and getting feedback and understanding like how far you are from next funding round and like, what do you need to achieve that? But also what would you use as capital to kind of uh, to propel your growth and to to kind of get you closer to the next stage of, you know, of the growth of the company? Of or the project in this case, um, yeah. So in your case, you are a digital nomad, and you have a remote, you know, employee structure. Walk us through this. So we were actually all in San Francisco office um, up until, I guess, like uh, mid nineteen. So like for a bit over a year. And then we started slowly hiring people kind of globally. And actually by 2020, beginning of 2020, we had maybe like 20, 30% global and then still people in San Francisco. And it started actually like to be a little bit uncomfortable where people who are like not in the office, right, would feel uh, um, excluded from the, you know, from the conversations and from the kind of, some of the in like the decisions that were made, and so we we started trying. If this is before COVID, we started trying to do like like two days in the office, three days remote type thing. And so when COVID was just starting, and I actually came from China in January 2020, kind of a, I had some contact that this is happening. And so mid February, we closed our office and we said, okay, we're going to fully fully remote. Don't take public transport, you know, <laughs> stay at home. Um, and so, and we kind of forced ourselves to, to switch to this async, you know, fully remote mode back then. And that also opened up our hiring. We also launched a Swiss foundation. So the reality is also because blockchain projects are also not kind of a monolithic company, but actually a lot of different organizations and companies working together in one ecosystem. So this this actually also kind of help to start structuring this like um, somewhat decentralized uh, organizational structure as well. And this to the point about like big companies like Google versus a uh, a coalition of companies and, and teams working together under under one roof. And uh, yeah, so I, generally speaking right now, I think there's like four or 500 like across very close uh, kind of ecosystem participants uh, you know, Near Foundation itself is uh, like 90 people. And then Pagoda, the company I run, is uh, about 100, 110. And there's also like a lot of other um, teams that are involved in different aspects of the new ecosystem. And it's like, it's fully remote. You know, there's like the sometimes time zone spans across, you know, US, Europe and Asia, which is really hard. And there's very limited time zone where like people can actually have meetings. So a lot more I think, a lot more documents shared. And kind of focusing on how can we empower people to uh, to be more independent, right? Versus versus having like a lot of synchronization and meetings. Um, so not not everyone even has like standups, for example, um, just because there's like so little time to to like where people intersect. 
Uh, and that time is so valuable for something more like more decision, like decision making or discussions or reviews versus uh, just kind of updates. And so a lot, a lot more, for example, async standups and async updates are needed. So now tell us about, you know, the company that you run and, and then also how, you know, it's a, it's working in parallel with Nair AI. Yeah. So, well, the, the company is Pagoda, which is kind of a successor of the original company that started near protocol. So it has the uh, kind of core development team that does the protocol and a lot of infrastructure. And uh, like, because again, it's all open source. So there's other people contributing to the protocol. There's, you know, kind of cross company work groups that are uh, deciding on, on uh, pass forward for the protocol as well. So, you know, for people familiar with open source, think of like Linux, uh, you know, there's Red Hat obviously is probably the biggest contributor to Linux kernel and, and a lot of periphery, but there's other companies participating as well. So, you know, what we're trying to build in Pagoda is to be Red Hat of Near. And uh, with that, you know, contribute to protocol, contribute to infrastructure, but also build uh, end user consumer products that are, um, you know, in different ways can bring users and, and engage them. So now imagine in a world where you were to go to sleep tonight, and, you know, the vision, you know, of both, you know, is fully realized of the company that you're running, plus also, you know, the, 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 the token, you know, itself, near AI, you know, if, 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 if in that world that you're, you know, waking up, you know, into the vision for both is fully realized, what does that world look like? Well, so for near itself, I mean, the kind of global vision is, uh, how do we enable people to have control over their assets, data, and power of governance? And that's a very like powerful statement because it kind of changes how the world is structured today, right? Right now, most people don't have control over their assets, right? They, you know, they're sent in bank and they don't have custody of them. The banks can go poof. Most of the world, you know, a lot, most of the people in the world are like either unbanked or like. Barely banked, right? Outside of Western world, and uh, at the same time, you know, all the data right now belongs to the Facebooks, to the Instagrams, to the whatever companies that like provide social platforms for people don't control them, people don't don't get benefit of that. And finally, governance is actually even more, uh, you know, painful because governance not just over the you know digital, but also the physical world, and you know, there's a lot of problems with that. And so the realization of this vision is really people, you know, even like a billion people being in control of this means, you know, the banks kind of change their functions. The, uh, a lot of the like social and kind of media companies will change how they work because they're now like the users are the owners of this and they are participating in the economy versus, you know, there's companies extracting value from them. And I mean, when we talk about governance, like the you know reality is it probably will change how the governments work. And this again, going back to the AI topic, the reality is like we need to do this because AI will start making the current government and governance systems, like legal, bureaucratic, political systems, will start showing the problems with them and making you know the current systems somewhat obsolete. And so we need to change that. And so kind of near and blockchain is a technology to help and aid that. And so I think the, yeah, that, that is the vision, right? It's like people, you know, in Africa are able to participate in the economy. 
uh, and you know they you know can open up their phone and do a small gig or or find a job or you know participate in in uh, some kind of uh, opportunity that is only right now available to a limited few. And same time, like there's no banks that can just like you know disappear and and take everybody's money. Uh, and at the same time, there's no like dictator who can just like dictate their uh, their decisions to the whole population. Now, we've been talking here about the vision and looking ahead. You know, if you were able to look back, you know, uh, incredible journey that you've had and and be able to reflect from that journey and, and really look ahead, you know, into the future. I mean, think about it this way. Imagine if I had the opportunity of giving you the opportunity of getting into a time machine and going back in time. <laughs> And obviously, you always wanted to start a company back in Ukraine, right? And you needed to follow this journey. But imagine you had the opportunity of going back in time and having a chat with that younger self, that younger Ilya that is looking at starting a company one day. You know, if you could go and have a sit down with that younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? So I think, I mean, the the core of all of this is always network, right? And so building network early, being very kind of resourceful about doing this, connecting with people, uh, but not not just like because you want something from them, but actually like, you know, building friendships and, and kind of relationships with people. I think that's, you know, especially for introverts and engineers, that's not something that's like completely natural. And so I think that's that's the main advice I would give because I, de I definitely wasn't doing that back in college and I only started kind of figuring this out when uh, kind of at Google really. And I think that that is probably the main advice because that's that's how you, like it's not just about business, right? It's also how you have like a fulfilling life, right? It's having friends, it's having the kind of connections with people, is is supporting each other and finding ways to kind of uplift the whole group. And obviously finding people who are interesting, who are ambitious, who are, excited about you know the innovation or you know maybe it doesn't always need to be tech right it can be kind of broader spectrum but like people who with whom you feel you will be able to do more and, and, and be a better person and so i think that's that's always important at, at any age but starting early and kind of really thinking about that uh, in that way versus kind of flow, floating like oh i just met somebody in university and that's my friends uh like what actually like oh who who are the interesting people I should be hanging out with? Who are interesting people who are doing something who I should be learning from? I think it's really important. And that would be the advice I would give. Amazing. Very profound. Now, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, so Twitter probably is really good. So IL Black Dragon on Twitter uh, or Ilya Nier uh, to search. And uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, Ilya, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.